Welcome to the Sales History Podcast with your host, author of The Transparency Sale and The Transparent Sales Leader, Todd Capone. Each episode brings you the incredible and sometimes strange minds, philosophies, and approaches from sales history's past with relevance to today. Here's Todd. Welcome back to the Sales History Podcast, or if this is your first time, welcome. Today's episode is a bit of an amendment to an earlier episode. I don't know what the rules are, but in season one, episode 10, I did an episode on when did cold calling begin? And today, what I wanted to do is tell you two stories that the first found stories of telephone cold calling campaigns. And it calls into question some of what I talked about in that episode, bringing forward some of the evidence of when cold telephone, cold calling outreach actually began. The first story I'm going to tell you about is a B2C telephone cold calling campaign from 1910. And a big hat tip to listener Jeffrey Blackwell, who brought it to my attention. And the second is a B2C. B telephone cold calling campaign from 1914. I sincerely hope you find them as fascinating as I do. So to set them up, a little reminder on telephones upbringing first. Now, as we've talked about before, the notorious AGB, the Alexander Graham Bell, he is the founder and patent holder or the original patent holder of the telephone from 1876. As a matter of fact, March 10th of 1876 is when he made his first phone call. Here apparently is a recording of that first phone call where he says, here is my voice, Alexander Graham Bell. The telephone grew up slowly, right? I mean, for many years, if you wanted to make a phone call, you might have had to go to the local general store or some other central location. You know, each town had maybe one telephone originally. Homes weren't wired together. And even if they were, they were initially set up as party lines, meaning a bunch of homes were wired together. So if you wanted to call someone's home, the phone would essentially ring all of them together. And once connected to the individual you wanted to speak with, the others hung up, or maybe they didn't. You could listen in on a neighbor's call just by staying on or even picking up the receiver randomly during the day. So the phone wasn't initially pervasive, and certainly privacy was a big issue. If you weren't going to share anything personal, it wasn't going to be over the phone. Rich and influential people, of course, had their own phones. Big businesses had phones, but a lot of times it was just connecting offices together. And the first telephone list, it was created in 1878, but it was one page long, had 50 names, and there were no phone numbers on it. So if you wanted to call someone, you picked up a receiver and asked the operator or the person on the other end to connect you. That The first true telephone lists weren't even created until 1903. And if you were one of the people who had a telephone, you were considered of considerable influence, right? So uh, that there were companies collecting those names and publishing lists like uh, the multi-mailing company in New York. These lists were valuable lists given they were essentially the lists of the most influential people. However, they weren't used for cold calling. 
Now, for me, I've built up an extensive collection of sales and sales management books and magazines from the late 1800s all the way through today with a lot of them in the early 1900s. And not a single sales book that I have even mentions the telephone as a sales tool. The magazines that do talk of telephones use frame it in a way like this quote from 1904's Salesmanship Magazine that says, it is not advisable to substitute a phone call for the first visit, nor will it be profitable for the second or third. Acquaintance is desired before the telephone call can be employed effectively. But there were instances where it was really effective, so let's get into the stories and let's start with that first story. This one is a one that was written about in a July 1911 edition of Telephony Magazine. And again, this is an example of a B2C cold telephone calling outreach. The company, Edison. So it was Edison Electric Illuminating Company. They were in Brooklyn, New York. So they were an electric light and power company and their ideal customer profile, I guess, if we were gonna use that term, was if you had a phone in your home, you could probably afford electric light and power. Uh, as it turns out, both were around $2.50 per month, which is you know kind of expensive in today's dollars. It's probably $75, $80 per month in today's dollars, but you know that's reasonable for a, a utility, I guess, right? Uh, you know, Edison Electric Illuminating Company, they did question the ethics of using telephone instead of in person, but they justified it in multiple ways. First of all was just the numbers, right? And it's exactly the way that we think about it today. A salesman could, you know, couldn't likely make 50 sales calls in a day face to face, but with the phone, they could probably make 50 sales calls in four hours. The, the message rate, by the way, was like three cents per call in large cities, which three cents per call, that sounds cheap, but you know, today that would be closer to a dollar per call. So imagine $50 of phone calls per day. And then when you match it up though, around the cost of transportation and the loss of time between calls, they, they felt like they could justify that additional expense. So Edison Electric uh, Illuminating Company, June 10th, 1910. So they actually put a date on when they started the campaign. They made a call list first, right? Much like you probably do today. Uh, the list was broken into three categories. So the first was present electric light customers. The second was non-customers, but on the lines of the company. And the third were non-customers, but off the lines of the company. Meaning if it was a customer that was interested, Edison would have to come in and you know create an extension to their home. Now, this is a quote from this article from 1911. And it said, when a salesman calls upon a housewife, she usually expresses an, an intention to consult her husband before discussing the subject. It would therefore seem best that the call be made when the head of the house is at home and at a period when he is likely to be in a receptive mood, obviously not before he has had his dinner nor too soon after. You know, clearly different times. So, they were making these calls between 8 p.m. and 9 p.m. They were doing it about three nights per week and they had a script, right? I mean, they were they created a, a cold calling script, which is amazing, right? 1910. The first script was for a new prospect and here it is. Quote, 
This is Mr. Blank, local representative of the Edison Company. We are making a canvas of your street, have recently added Mr. Blank to our lines, and desire to know whether you care to consider electric service similar to that of your neighbor, right? So they would obviously replace blank with the name of a neighbor that might have just signed up. For an existing prospect, here is the quote. This is Mr. Blank, local representative of the Edison Company. We are making a telephone inquiry among our customers to ascertain whether the service is satisfactory in every respect, and we would like to receive any comment that you may care to make. Based on the answer, they would follow that with, quote, We are glad to hear the service is satisfactory. We have recently purchased a stock of new electric irons, or they might insert some other appliance, like a, like a lamp, would you care to have us send you one on a 30-day trial? So the, the focus was residential. They, they never called at work dirt due to the undesirability of approaching a businessman at his office during business hours regarding service at his home. That's a quote. But in each case, they were doing some customization. If it's an existing customer, they would clear the way and make sure that if there was any elephant in the room in the form of you know, some dissatisfaction with the product, they would clear that and then they would go for the upsell, right? Now the results and the results, here's another quote from the article. You may be surprised to know that in over 500 calls we have made to present and prospective electric light users, we have not received one discourteous reply or abusive criticism, right? That's amazing. Uh, Think about the cold calls that happen today. They also followed it up by talking about the fact that over 30% of their calls resulted in requests for an immediate call in person. And at least one third of those resulted in closed new business, right? So even if they didn't get a sale, when they were calling the existing customers, the article talks about the fact that, quote, bringing up and adjusting numerous little misunderstandings regarding lamps supplied or billing methods, et cetera, resulted in increasing the number of satisfied customers. So higher value calls, they were building pipeline, they were closing deals, and they were improving customer satisfaction all via the cold call in June of 1910. Now, again, that was B2C. What about B2B? I found this one in September 28, 1918's edition of Advertising and Selling Magazine. The article was titled, Selling Goods by Telephone by DM Peril. And it was the story of an ice machine company sales department from August of 1914. Here's the story. The sellers, this group from the sales office, had been sent to Kansas City to try out a new territory right? At the time, it was hot. Again, this was August of 1914. And the quote in the article says it was 110 degrees Fahrenheit in the shade. They had no prospect list to work on. So getting business was strictly up to these sellers. they just going in barehanded, right? Now, while, while they were there and about the town, they heard a rumor. There was a rumor that a serum plant was going to put in an ice machine. Now, serum was or is the clean liquid part of the blood. But back then, serum was used, you know, specifically animal blood serum was used to vaccinate livestock 
and to provide immunity, you know, immunity for them. So it, there was tremendous value in keeping it cold. The, the article says, quote, Madam Rumor failed to divulge where, how, or why, only when. That when was right away. So they knew there was a serum company that was going to do this. They just didn't know who, any details about it. They just knew that they're about to. Now, one of the rules of the firm was never to use the telephone if it was possible to see the prospect in person. But their justification was there were a lot of serum plants making a serum for vaccinating hogs for cholera. Lots of stock raising in Kansas City, apparently, right? And these plants, these companies, uh, these offices were not easy to get to. They were out of the way places. They were all over the big city. So what did they do? Well, they dug up a phone directly, directory and started calling. That They felt like time was of the essence that they wanted to be the ice machine company of choice. So they used a script too. You want to hear it? I'm guessing you do. So the first script that they used was, this is the blank refrigeration machine company. We have just heard that a serum plant was about to purchase an ice machine. We thought you were probably the company that was to make the installation. Now, the results, they, they were shocked by how well this was received. Only one company was the basis of the rumor, right? But all of their calls resulted in these companies feeling like, hey, if one serum company is buying one, maybe we should too. Apparently, there was also legislation requiring hog vaccination at the time. So this was an important vertical. The next thing they knew they had three live prospects, plus they did find the company that was the source of the rumor. And the article goes on to have a quote that says, Madam Rumor had evidently done us a favor in failing to go into the details. Now, this point in the article is where my transparency brain started to cry. Like I was literally upset reading this. Here's a quote. It said, quote, we proceeded to manufacture rumors for every other type of prospect and go through them in the same way. We worded our inquiry so that without actually committing ourselves, we let them think that we had a good reason to believe they were actually considering the purchase of a machine. That's gross, right? I, I hate that, but that's what they did. And the results for them were really, really good, right? They say that the approach basically combed out the prospects, especially illuminating the ones that had considered buying one and put it off or those who had cold feet. And it goes on to quote, which would thaw for the first red-blooded salesman carrying a red-hot message. Now, they did things the right way. Again, this was 1914. They always asked for referrals. Uh, you know, they always asked if you know of any other companies or people in the line of business who might be interested or in need of refrigeration equipment. And then when they got it, they still prioritize company to company tactics versus telephone cold outreach. But when they did do that, you know, they also got permission to use the referrer's name too. For them, cold telephone outreach provided them with a list of prospects that they feel would have taken them a month to get together with the methods that they had been using. So the beginnings of telephone cold outreach had begun. 1910 in B2C, 1914 in B2B. Now that doesn't preclude me from finding other stories and examples, but 
These are earlier than I had previously discovered. So, as always, if you want to call BS on something I'm talking about, point me to stories or evidence of something interesting or something that conflicts with something I've talked about before, or you have a topic you want me to explore, it's seriously why I do this. The Sales History Podcast is 100% a hobby. I don't get paid a cent for doing it. It's just an outlet for my nerdery and your feedback and input makes it all worth doing. So reach out. My email address is tcaponi at salesmelon.com or you can find me at toddcaponi.com. There's contact information through there. I'm on LinkedIn, hard not to find, and I would love to hear from you. And I would love a review from you wherever you're listening to. That certainly helps. So I hope you enjoyed this amendment of an episode. Thanks again.